Let us now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 119. Aleph. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do give thee thanks for thy word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, O Lord, that thou wouldst indeed open the pages of Scripture to us. We ask that as we come to hear thy word preached, you would give us understanding, that we would rightly meditate upon thy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we, make our way, as we have made our way to Psalm 119, we've covered a lot of ground, but here in Psalm 119, we come to that section of the fifth book of the Psalter. We have covered those Hillel Psalms, those Psalms that Jesus and his disciples uh, sung at the administration of the Lord's Supper at that final Passover meal there in the upper room. We saw the connection of those psalms uh, in this section, all grouped together. And now we come to Psalm 119, which is uniquely different from all of the other psalms. But here Psalm 119 is connected to Psalm 118. Um, Both 118 and 119 are the third coupling or if you know what a coupling is, a joining together of two things, two, um, two things that are related. And so Psalm 118, 119 are the third coupling that joins together a messianic psalm with the Torah or the law. Now the first coupling that we see in the Psalter is Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1 is much like Psalm 119. We begin there, and it's interesting that the Psalter begins with Psalm 1, where it says, Blessed is the man. It begins there, in that very opening of the Psalter. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That is the first psalm of the Psalter. It's a Torah. But then you come to Psalm 2, and it's a messianic psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
And so Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm declaring the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ as an eternal kingdom. And so those two psalms are joined together. But the second coupling is Psalm 18 and Psalm 19. There in Psalm 19, you see the psalmist declaring... The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Then he speaks of the law of the Lord as perfect, as the testimony of the Lord being sure, as the statutes of the Lord being made right. And then he ends, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord my strength, and my Redeemer. But notice it is connected as a Torah psalm or psalm of the law. It's connected to a Messianic psalm in Psalm 18. And as you look at Psalm 18 there, it speaks of God's deliverance in giving victory over, its, over His enemies. And so it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who grants victory over the enemies, over, over the church as they are pursued by their enemies. And then we see Psalm 118 coupled with Psalm 119. And there in 118, we have already seen the psalmist giving praise for the sufferings and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we see those three psalms connected, what do we mean by a messianic psalm being joined to a Torah or a law psalm? Well, I think it's important for us to note, and we kind of touched on this this morning in Family Bible Hour, but the law and the Messiah are both essential to the life of God's people. We have to have both the law and the Messiah to experience that blessed and holy estate of which the psalmist describes here in Psalm 119. These three Torah psalms joined with a messianic psalm declare that the law is useless without Christ. We don't want to say useless, it has its purpose, but without Christ, the law condemns us, that without Christ, the law has no effect upon us. And so we, we need to see the, the joining of that messianic psalm with the Torah, because oftentimes we come to Psalm 119, and we just read it on the surface and see no connection to Christ. The more and more I study the Psalms, the more and more I pour my heart into the Psalms, I see Christ all over. You cannot read the Psalms and not see Christ. We don't read the Psalms like, like uh, those who uh, deny uh, a Trinitarian view of God. We don't read the Psalms as those who reject Christ. We see the Psalms as, as displaying the, the glory of the triune God, but particularly the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I want to note here, as we think about the connection between those three messianic psalms and those three law psalms, as seeing that the law and the gospel are essential to the life of the believer. I don't want to get into the particulars of that, but I think in our day, there's, there's two extremes. On the one extreme, we have those who hold to what is called the law-gospel distinction, and they see the law here, and they see the gospel here, and there doesn't seem to be much connection between them. But then we see others who everything is all gospel, 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 gospel. And then you see our Adventist friends who see everything as law, law, law. And yet we need to see the connection between the law and the gospel because it's essential to the life of the believer. In Psalm 118, Christ as our King causes the peoples to rejoice in His victories. We see there in Psalm 1, in Psalm 19, and now here in Psalm 119, we see similar terminology. We see that strategic position there within the Psalter. In the Psalter, God's people find life in the Messiah. And in His law is their way of life. The psalmist could not say that those who are undefiled are blessed, that those who walk in the law of the Lord are blessed if they have no understanding of Christ. And so we see here that life is found in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is His law. It is our way of life. Now Psalm 119 is the longest and most unique chapter out of the Psalter. It has 176 verses arranged according to all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, someone came to me a number of weeks ago, young person, and asked me what all those titles meant in Psalm 119. I thought, ah, somebody's ahead of me. But as you look at Psalm 119, you see all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Beth, Gemel, Daleth, Hay, Va, Zion, Haith, and all the way down to the end of the alphabet. And so this particular psalm is arranged with eight verses headed by a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And every particular verse begins with that letter of the alphabet. And so in the Hebrew text, in the Hebrew scriptures, you will find not only the heading, Aleph, here before verse 1, but you will see before verse 1, verse 2, and all the way down to verse 8, you will see that Hebrew letter, Aleph. Almost looks like a squiggly A. It's a little difficult to write when you're beginning to learn Hebrew. But all of those begin with Aleph. Verses 9 through 16 all begin with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Bet. The third one, 17 through 24, begins with a third letter 
of the Hebrew alphabet, Gimel. And so as we see them arranged alphabetically, as we see them arranged according to the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, every eight sentences, as I said, begin with the same letter in ascending order. This psalm describes for us pilgrims and strangers guided by the law of the Lord, as we see in Psalm 1. And he's guided by the law of the Lord until he reaches that celestial city. We find the full flowering of that delight in God's law. And as we consider this text tonight before us, we see here that this is what one commentator calls a holy alphabet for children to understand. But as you make your way through Psalm 119, and we won't look at all of that obviously tonight, but there are a number of expressions that are used here in Psalm 119 that describe the characteristics of God's Word. You see throughout Psalm 119 that word law. It's used 25 times. And it is that expression of the binding nature of the law that leads us to obedience. Matthew Poole says it well, his law is binding us to obedience. It guides and directs us. And so if we look to the law and we obey the law without Christ, there is no thing to bind us to it. It just simply becomes legalism. But also we see the word testimonies used 23 times. And testimonies are the revealed will of God that testifies to our duty. We solemnly declare to the world that we are God's people. And so when we give testimony, we are declaring our duty and our allegiance to this God. But we see the word precepts used 21 times. That is the way in which we are to walk. Statutes are used 20 times. It's interesting that the word statutes is something that is prescribed or engraved. They are fixed. They're determined. They're of a perpetual obligation. You remember there in Deuteronomy 6, those of you who have memorized that, Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which our Lord, our God, commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land which you possess. And then Moses goes on and gives that Shema, that, that word that Israel knew that the Lord our God 
the Lord is one. And then it says, These words which I command thee this day will be in thine heart. Teach them diligently, Deuteronomy 6, 7, unto thy children. And talk of them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou risest up. And thou shalt, what? Bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thy eyes. And so we see here in Deuteronomy 6 that a statute is something that is prescribed. It's engraved. But where do we see the engraving of God's law? We see it there in Exodus chapter 20. Moses went up to the mountain of God and he came back with what? Two stone tablets. And the moral law of God was inscribed on those stone tablets. Showing that it was fixed. That it was perpetual. That it could not be broken. And so in our day when people say we are not under the moral law. It's not true. For the moral law is still binding, still fixed. And it is the perpetual rule for the life of the church. Commandments are used 22 times. God's revealed will committed to us as a trust to keep. You know, we have a trust, we have as stewards... A trust to keep. And so we keep the commandments of God and we pass that on to our children. We pass that on to our children's children. The word judgments are used 23 times. And judgments are those judicial ordinances given, sanctioned. They are legal judicial decrees. And so... They are sanctions that are bound upon the church, upon the people of God. Christ is the one who is the judge of the church, and it is his royal law that governs the life of the church. And so as we consider... Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. We see, as Matthew Poole so diligently describes, the scope and design of this passage is to command a serious and diligent study of God's Word as the best comforter, as the best counselor in all the world, and as the only way to true blessedness. We live in a world when people want to find comfort. They want to find counsel in all the wrong places. And yet Matthew Poole describes that the law of God is our counselor. It's our comfort. It is the only way to true blessedness. I want to give a challenge. I gave a challenge to several of our young people on a family visitation here some time back. I said, we're going to be coming to Psalm 119. So I want to give you a head start, and I'll give you the same challenge, is to take Psalm 119 and memorize 
those verses, I have put um, the second part, the uh, bet part of Psalm 109 to memory many years ago. And I need to take that back up again. But I would give you a challenge that was given by Reverend Philip Henry to his children. Philip Henry was the father of Matthew Henry. And so he instructed his children to take one verse of Psalm 119 every morning and meditate upon that verse. And then the next day, take the second verse. And the third day, take the third verse. Meditate upon that. And then twice a year, go over the entirety of Psalm 119. And Reverend Philip Henry told his children at a very young age that this will bring you to love all of the Scripture. I think that's a wonderful challenge for us to just begin to take it. It's, it's written in a practical way. Psalm 119 was written by David most likely as a, a practical way of, of hiding God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. And so as we consider Psalm 119 in the next uh, number of weeks. It certainly is the longest. But you know what? It celebrates the beauty and the benefits of God's law, God's word, that is hidden in the heart of his people. There in verse 1, beginning with the Hebrew word Aleph, first letter of the alphabet, the psalmist says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. It's stated that way in Psalm 1, that the way of the righteous is the right way, that the way of the righteous is the most blessed way, that the way of the righteous is the only way. There's a contrast, and we see that contrast there in Psalm 1, that the righteous are those who what? Meditate upon God's law day and night. The righteous are what? Those who do not sit in the seat of scoffers, who do not sit among those who are haters of God, but they are those who are identified as the righteous, as those who walk according to the law of God. There we see that that way of the undefiled is the blessed way. When you turn back to Psalm 33, and I've lost my reference, but it speaks of those being blessed who have been forgiven of all of their sins. How are they forgiven? How is one forgiven of his sins? How is one considered undefiled or blameless or without fault, as that word is used there in 
in Psalm 119.1. It is those who have received perfect righteousness from the one who is described in the psalm as possessing all righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this word blessed there speaks of possessing great benefits for those who walk in the way of the righteous. That word undefiled has the sense of those who have integrity, of those who walk according to the law of God. We see even now with our new speaker of house of the house, a man who has declared Christ as his Savior and Redeemer, who has always shown integrity. He's not been in politics, but he's been around for a long time. He's been an active leader and participant in the Southern Baptist Convention as a man who is an evangelical. And yet he has received a lot of ridicule and scorn for being a Christian. But those who are the blessed ones, those who are undefiled, are those who have integrity. They're not just those who keep commandments, but they are those who receive instruction from God. And so the way of the undefiled is the right way. Oh, how we need to be reminded in our day, even our young people need to be reminded. All of us need to be reminded that the way that we are called to walk is the way of those who are undefiled, of those who have identified with Christ, those who walk in the law of the Lord. You cannot begin to walk according to the law of God. You cannot begin to walk in that way if your heart is not changed by this one who is our Messiah. And so we find here, that the blessed are those who keep his testimonies. They are not only the righteous, the undefiled, those who are without fault, but they are the one who keeps the testimonies of God. That is the revealed will of God. They testify that it is their duty to keep the law of God. They declare to those around them, that they are the people of God, that they walk in the way of the Lord. So twice, they're blessed because they're undefiled. They are blessed because they keep His testimonies. And notice, they seek Him with the whole heart. How is one able to seek God with the whole heart? We cannot. Our heart is wicked and deceitful. Our heart is filled with all kinds of unrighteousness and hypocrisy. But those who sincerely pursue the way of the Lord are those whose hearts have been drawn unto Christ, who are in union with them. They also do no iniquity. Now here, that word iniquity there doesn't signify that they are um, 
perfect or that they have reached some kind of sinless perfection. Because that would be impossible. But they are those who do not walk according to the ways of the world. Now I would draw your attention back to Psalm 1 because I think there is such a parallel between these two psalms. Because Psalm 1 verse 2 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law doth He meditate day and night. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly perish. And so when we think about the fact that they do know iniquity, it is they who are separated, who are distinguished from those who are the ungodly. Those who stand before God condemned. They are those who stand in the way of sinners. They are the ones who sit in the seat of the scornful. They are those who were identified with Christ as he was being arrested and tried. They are the ones who are the opposite of Psalm 119 verse 3. They do know iniquity. There's no sin, guilt found in them. Christ has taken that guilt. So therefore, they walk in His ways. Notice how easily all three of those verses go from they are blessed because they are undefiled. Therefore, they walk in the way of the Lord. They are blessed who keep His testimonies. Therefore, they seek Him with their whole heart. They do no iniquity. Therefore, they walk in in his ways. And so we see there in those first three verses how easy it is to distinguish the righteous, the undefiled, those who keep God's testimonies from those who walk in the way of the ungodly. The heart, that inner man, those affections, the mind, the will, the affections, they are those who are free from hypocrisy. They are free from legalism. They pursue the sincere desire to obey the word of God. They keep, thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. The precept is something that is given, that is something that is prescribed that they are to do. Notice here, God has commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, how often we do not strive to keep God's precepts diligently, and yet there's a sense in which we should always strive to keep every aspect of God's law. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. And then the psalmist 
begins to conclude this first section by saying, I will praise thee with an upright heart. I will praise thee when I have learned of thy righteous judgments. Notice here that the one who's upright in heart is learning the righteous judgments of the Lord. That is what a disciple does. That is what a follower of Christ does. He learns how to keep the righteous judgments of the Lord. Notice the judgments of God are characterized as righteous. That they are the judgments that are pleasing unto God. We find here that as he concludes... The psalmist himself saying, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Now we have seen Psalm 119 connected to that messianic Psalm 118. But there's a sense in which Psalm 119 speaks of Christ. Not only as the lawgiver but as one who perfectly kept the law of God. He is the one of whom the psalmist describes, keeps the commandments of the Lord. But then he calls us to keep the commandments of God. We cannot keep God's commandments apart from Christ. We must have the Lord Jesus Christ. We must cling unto Him and therefore, we who are in union with Christ know the road that we are called to walk. And oftentimes that road is windy. Oftentimes that road is twisted. Oftentimes that road has all of the, the uh, schemes of Satan all lying there. As you walk that, that twisted road, you can see all the potholes and all the things that can easily lead you astray. And yet God has ordained that those who love the law of God, who meditate upon it day and night, find that they diligently keep His commandments. And so the way of the pilgrim, the way of the stranger, is guided not by human ingenuity, not by pragmatism, but by God's law. And finally, we reach that celestial city. No man or woman can reach that celestial city unless they are guided by the law of God. And only through Christ, our great mediator, can we begin to find that life in him. Charles Bridges reminds us this is a journal of one taught deeply in the things of God who is long practiced in the life of walking by faith. This is the picture of the blessed man. And the longer you walk that road, the longer you delight in the law of God, you find it your practice. 
you find it, your delight. And so I would encourage us tonight as we consider these first eight verses of Psalm 119 to consider, to, to take this challenge to begin every day to just memorize one word or one verse of Psalm 119, to begin to meditate upon it. There is more that could be said about that, but that meditation is that means of grace that God has given to us where we pour ourselves over the Scripture and we consider, what is it God is saying to me? But I want us to be careful as we meditate upon it that we're not just sitting there aimlessly looking at a text like monks in a monastery somewhere. But we're looking at the Word and we're asking and we're praying for God to give us understanding. And then we are confessing before Him. We need His mercy and His grace. That we need grace that we might meditate rightly upon the law of God and find it our delight. This work of meditation is a work and a duty that God calls us to do. We are to labor and to have a deep impression of the things of God that we must beg God for a ready heart and a good memory to meditate upon these things. So in conclusion, I would just give you a few points, practical application, ways that you can meditate as you take each verse. Get alone with God, with no distractions, with no other things to sway you. Get alone with God. And as you're there alone with God, don't just sit there idly. What do I do? But begin to make this a sweet labor, a joyous work. It's not simply a mere exercise. Okay, I've memorized ten verses. It's not that kind of labor. It's not legalism. But it's a delight in meditating upon God's Word. Let only God's Word be your meditation. And as you begin, read it. Read it again. Hear it. End with prayer. Reading the Word of God without meditation is unfruitful. Meditation without reading is harmful to the soul. To meditate and to read without prayer brings no blessing. But join your meditation with examination of your own soul. Join your meditation with prayer. And this will profit your soul. This will give you sweetness. How often we come to the Lord's Day and we hear the Word preached and we just sit there idly. We hear words, but we're not meditating, as the psalmist says, upon the law of God. So there's no profit, there's no benefit in that preaching. 
And when we hear God's word, pray that God give understanding. Pray for our souls. And God will indeed give sweetness and profit unto thee. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks for thy great mercy. We do confess that oftentimes we approach thy word as legalists. We approach thy word as just simply our duty to read it. And yet, Lord, we do plead with thee for thy mercies, for the times that we have read thy word, and it has not been a sweet and joyous work, but it has simply been a drudgery. Oh, Lord, give us hearts that would long for greater obedience. Give us hearts that would seek Thee. Give us hearts that would love Thy law. And may we meditate upon it. May we begin to hear it. May we begin to think upon it. And we do plead, O oh Lord, that Thou will give us understanding and sweetness to the meditation of thy word. And we ask this in the glorious name of our Savior, our Messiah, and our Redeemer. Amen. Now we are going to sing the first part of Psalm 119 that we have just looked upon. And so let us turn in our Psalter to Psalm 119. Amen. Hey.